En Frederik. Thomas. En Frederik. Hello, stranger. Welcome to State of the Franchise, or as we are calling it this month, Scream of the Franchise. <laughs> I am one of your ghosts, Tom Stadler, here with my fellow co-ghost. <laughs> oh, I like that. That was good. Co-ghost? I'm Fred. <laughs> yeah, Fred. <laughs> Fred Dakin. All right, I'm like, should we have like spooky names too? Should I be like... Like Tom Stabler or something? Or? Yeah, I like Stabler. I feel like we've had this conversation because yours is so good than mine. Like, my name kind of sounds like I'm a Victorian ghost already. Like, <laughs> Frederick James Dakin III. You could be like Dead Dakin. Yeah, Dead Dakin. <laughs> very exciting topic this week. To kick off our uh, very horror-slash-spooky-themed month. Um, we're obviously talking about a, a video game franchise that has been uh, around for now, almost 30 years. Feels like my whole life. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, and, and it does have kind of like some of those urban legend stuff around it a little bit. Yes, I definitely digested early Resident Evil through other people, like on the playground, you know. I was never allowed near these games. Yeah, it was definitely like a word of mouth type movie of like, oh, if you guys heard about this game, they have this happen in it. And like there's like dogs that jump through windows and scare the shit out of you. Yeah, of course we're talking about the Resident Evil franchise, uh a series of video games first and foremost, but also some uh maybe a hot and cold <laughs> Critically received movies <laughs> and other adaptations and like TV and otherwise. Yeah, some of those just didn't take, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're they kind of dead on arrival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is good stuff. I, I like know. It. <laughs> I like it too. Well, we want to introduce our, our guest this week, though. Uh, returning to the podcast is uh, our Resident Evil, our, our resident Resident ooh, Evil ooh. Uh, connoisseur. Mr. Joe Francisco. Hey, everybody. Thanks yeah, for having hey. me. Welcome back. We made a special thing. You know, we were really just going to have you on for Batman movies, <laughs> but you were like, I really want to do this video game. I'm going to use my one veto just to do one thing I want to talk about. And you decided to choose the Capcom game Resident Evil. That's right. Classic Cap Capcom franchise. Yeah. <laughs> Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there was any other Capcom Capcom game series that we were talking about. Yeah, at all. Capcom. We we can't we can't even say it straight, but we love the, we love the games. Cap, Cap, we have the games. We love Capcom. It just sounds very like Canadian. Like, oh yeah, y'all like the Capcom there. Oh, huh? You've been playing the Capcom. Oh games? yeah, yeah. Play oh. it on the board. Oh, yeah. You've been playing that Resident Evil. Oh yeah, like on the Switch up, there. Up. Yeah, yeah. That's like when your like grandparents just call it all Nintendo. No, you know, oh, like, yeah. oh, put down the Capcom. <laughs> Quit playing your Capcom. I mean, it you got to do your homework. <laughs> it is funny you say that, though, too, because I feel like like the older generation did try to make like Nintendo, like the the generic brand name thing of like, oh, it's a Kleenex, right? Or <laughs> Band-Aid. Like, it's all stuff that's like, oh, sure. This is the, the generic thing. It's like, no, man, it's its own thing. No, Nintendo. It's Resident Evil. It's not Capcom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Resident Evil, for those who are not familiar with it, is a 
a horror game franchise uh, created by Capcom. Capcom. <laughs> Capcom. Uh, <it's>, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it really consists of survival horror scenarios, though, um, often in third-person shooter games, but recently have been exploring more first-person shooter games um, with players who are just trying to survive environments that are filled with zombies that are affected by the T-virus and other variations of that virus that I'm excited to get into as we talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Um, but in Japan and Southeast Asia, the series is known as Biohazard. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit of that during the development in our history and talk about why that name change occurred. But I guess my first question for you guys, uh, maybe start with you, Joe, mm-hmm. is where was your first exposure to Resident Evil? So I was always a huge Capcom fan. You yeah. know, I liked... Street Fighter, little series you guys might have heard of. Never heard of it. Uh, nope. Mega Man. Yeah. Ever heard of that? Mm, Ghost and Goblins. <laughs> Final Fight. You know, they just made a ton of games that I really enjoyed. Right. Um, and I know, Fred, you're into all the spooky shit. I am. Uh, but I very much am usually not into the spooky shit, which is kind of interesting how much I love this franchise because uh, back, I think, 96 was when Resident Evil 1 came out. Mm-hmm. and i have older brothers who are also huge gamers so like growing up we were playing everything all the capcom and all that capcom capcom <laughs> um and i actually watched them play like the first few ogs mm-hmm. just because like i would like be like hiding under a, a blanket <laughs> on the bed watching them play it like ah shit like oh man like dogs jumping through the windows mm-hmm. you know hunters like crazy shit happening um so i didn't I, I did try and play them. Like, I was always fascinated that, like, the first couple, you could choose your own character, and they kind of had different routes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Resident Evil 1, I always remember, like, I have to go with Jill because she starts with the handgun. Like, oh, when you're yeah. Chris, you only got a little knife. And I'm like, what am I going to do with a little knife against all these <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and then just, like, the opening FMV intro to Resident Evil 1, I just was like, oh, shit, like, it looks so spooky because... You know, back then, early 3D games, like, they couldn't render them in as high of fidelity. So mm-hmm. it's like the FMV, I think, really popped. Yeah, for um, sure. Even, like, to this day, I feel like the FMV versions of the characters are kind of what I have in my head of, like, oh, man, they should, like, Wesker, like, the actor they have to look to play Wesker looks just like how I think Wesker should always look. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, like, same thing for all the characters, you know, Jill, Rebecca, um, Chris. And then, um, yeah, like, ever since then, I've kind of always always played them. Four, obviously. Love four. Four was just, like, was huge. I think one of the best games of all time. You can't really yeah. argue that. Um, and then recently, the remakes. Like, they've been really kicking ass with the remakes and definitely been playing through all of those as they come out. Yeah, and the, yeah, the remakes have been huge. We'll definitely be touching on those a little bit, which it's it's so interesting that we're living in an era of a lot of remakes right now, and it feels like everybody's kind of doing it in a little bit of a different way, but I feel like Capcom, Capcom <laughs> might be doing it the best mm-hmm. based on what people are really looking for out of a remake. Um, and it's funny, too, you brought up the whole thing about your brother, uh or your brother's playing mm-hmm. the games. Cause I feel like it's almost a rite of passage for people of our generation or just is to see a older sibling or a friend's <laughs> older sibling playing it first and being like, Oh yeah, that's how I first really came across it. I don't know. Did you have a similar experience, Fred? 
Uh, not with these games. Uh, I do remember trying to play like Resident Evil Two. Did it ever come on like N sixty four? Didn't they like try Ooh. to do that? I think there was a port at some point of Resident Evil Two on N sixty four. I remember playing that, and I just could not wrap my head around the movement of mm. the character, which is something I still struggle with. I actually just downloaded the director's cut of one and. I'm definitely doing a lot better today than I did back then, but the movement was very jarring on how you control the person within these environments with the stationary cameras. But um, I'd say my biggest uh, introduction to actually playing it, playing it, was when the fifth one came out. Mm. They put a demo on the Xbox 360, I believe, where it was like the first level. And I just remember playing that a bunch and eventually getting the fifth one and that one, because it had a heavy co-op thing going, and I was like 19 at the time, like it was like the time to be playing a game like that with yeah. someone else. And right. I remember like just the intensity of having to stand still while shooting because that was like the last game where that was still like a factor. But very recently, I'd say like when Village came out, mm-hmm. I saw some gameplay of it, and I was like, this is like. A Freddy game because it's funny enough. I played more of The Evil Within, which is actually made by someone I think who worked on Resident Evil, yeah. right? So, Shinji Mikami, who is the director of Resident Evil One, was also the director of Four, and I think he's produced like two and three. And he's mm-hmm. he's been he's like, in my opinion, he's like on like the Mount Rushmore of, of game developers because he's just like he's made so many hits, yeah, and he's known for like the survival horror genre, but yeah, he. Then left Capcom, founded, I mm-hmm. uh, can't remember the name of the studio, I think Grasshopper, but they made the Evil Within games and, and the sequel to that. Definitely, which I recommend. Evil Within is kind of like a smaller, like not a lot of people have played that, but I really recommend it. It's kind of like Last of Us meets Resident Evil. But uh, I would say, so once I played The Village, I went back and played Biohazard, which I just loved. And then when I say Biohazard, the seventh one, I should yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> and then the remakes came out, and I played two and three back-to-back, because when I eventually played them, they were both out. And I just loved it as one experience. Mm-hmm. And now that four has come out, and I've played this. I just finished it today, and I'm all in on Resident Evil games. In fact, I was like streaming some of the old games just to get a little flavor of them, even a little sure. Code Veronica today. <laughs> Ooh. But uh, that, was, that was me. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I had a very similar experience, and I did confirm Resident Evil 2 did get released on N64 Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But I definitely, well, similar experience to Joe, I should say, in that I had a friend whose older brother would constantly play these games, and we would be over there watching him play it on PlayStation. So I watched him play 1 and 2 and 3, and I dabbled a little bit with playing um, 2 and 3 at that time just because we were like, okay, you know, you switch off every time somebody dies, right? Right. But outside of that, I didn't dive into the series really uh, myself because, yeah, I was a little bit of a scaredy kid. <laughs> and I'm like, and I didn't think I was going to sell my mom on buying me any of those games. But finally, when I got to college, um, I, we had, you know, GameCube was like a staple when I was in college. And finally, I remember somebody like left a copy of Resident Evil 4 just lying around. I'm like, all right, I'll play this game. And I mean, I loved it. And obviously, it's it was like, you know, the game of the year edition had like all the content included and it was just awesome um and i was like wow i slept on this because i think it kind of reminds me of like some of the things that people feel about metal gear solid 
mm-hmm. and that when you look at Metal Gear Solid as like somebody who's never played it or experienced it, you see a series that looks like it's just sort of like almost Call of Duty-ish in a way. And you're like, oh, is this going to be for me? It's just spy craft or whatever. But it's really like, it's an action game. It's fun. It's like kind of got like anime inspiration. It's very big and boisterous and kind of ridiculous, like, right. you know? And so I think that after I played that, you know, I had always intended to keep going back to Resident Evil games, but um, just never really got into a whole lot more of them. I did play the first um, remake that w- released in 2002. Years later, I played this, I should say. And I really liked that game, but um, ran into the whole situation, running out of ammo, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know where to go. And, <laughs> and it kind of <laughs> fell off of it, but I've been meaning to to revisit it. And yeah, I just think it's always something that's uh, it's intrigued me. I've always like read a lot about the games and everything, but yeah, I mean, it's just a series that I think kind of pierces through the zeitgeist a little bit whenever a new one comes out like the remakes or like village or biohazard you're you can't help but like look into it and be like oh what's the what's new and different about this one and i think that's one of the things that makes this series so lasting is that the previous games are rarely ever like the ones that came before it you know or the ones that came come after it outside of maybe like biohazard and village and maybe like what two and three i don't know and you guys can correct me on if i'm wrong on those yeah i mean i think there's something to like the the lore that they build but they don't always really tell the story sequentially per se mm-hmm. like like resident evil 3 is like before two and after three mm-hmm. so it's kind of like they keep switching the story up but it's all interconnected which i you know the lore is kind of ridiculous but i do yeah. enjoy it Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they kind of keep adding new concepts to it. Um, obviously with four, like that was huge going to like the over, over the shoulder perspective and then biohazard and village going to first person. Like, I feel like they've always been able to modernize the series to like what current gamers tastes are. And yeah, just kind of has a lot of staying power and that's why it's been around for so long. Yeah. I do like what you brought up about four though, too. Cause I felt like previous to that, like I had never been a big first person shooter fan i'm still not Mm -hmm. but when i saw like the over the shoulder i'm like oh i like the way that this plays like it Mm -hmm. just feels a little more natural like you're playing something that you still kind of experience everything firsthand but you can see that there's like a person an avatar in front of you and it just feels different i don't i always thought like i think fred you mentioned frustrations with the tank controls and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like they always do a great job at kind of keeping the tension high in the gameplay because like you're like oh shit i need more handgun ammo or i need more green herbs and mm-hmm. and i think some of the choices they make in not making it the most modern or easy controls is kind of meant is it's like a it's a conscious design choice for them to kind of like keep you on your toes for yeah. like things aren't necessarily supposed to be easy right um but they do like such a good job at at pacing it and you know like the horror and, and, and action elements, I think, just have universal appeal to, to everybody. Yeah. They're not so scary that I feel mm-hmm. like they're un like they're yeah, unpenetrable by people who would normally not be horror fans. But obviously you have people like Fred who it's like loves horror stuff, anything you can get your hands on. You're talking about the evil within, like it's a natural segue to go like, Oh, what's this all about? And right. you almost realize it's not purely horror. Like there's a zombie element, but there's a whole other thing going on here with the action. 
Mm, definitely. And I was feeling it when I went back and played one recently, which it's funny. They don't have, you can buy the remake mm-hmm. for like $20 right now on the PlayStation store, but they have the director's cut of the first one, which is like not the updated graphics. I think it's just like more story. Yeah. And I was playing it and it do- it's really tough to move your person <laughs> around. But I will say the dread factor is much higher in one and two than four. There's an adrenaline fear that you're feeling in four, and then I feel six and seven have kind of weaponized everything and yeah. kind of use it. Um, but I really think those first two games feel like real horror. But it's also, they've done a lot of action, and like you mentioned, there's definitely an anime feel to these. So I think because there's a Resident Evil for every gamer, I think that gives it staying power. Because I was watching, like, the Raccoon City Stories game is, like, looks like a Gears of War Call of Duty game, which, you know, if that's your thing, there you go. Or, like I said, the old ones have that old school dread. I think 4 is a good combination also of all of it as well. Um but I think that's the staying power is mixing up, but also just horror cells. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like a series you can kind of drop in Definitely. on any numbered entry you want. Like, oh, like the four remake just came out. Like, I'll just pick that and pick that up and start playing it. Whereas, like, it'll still be a great experience. Like, you don't know all of like the connections, but you're like, oh shit, Leon's cool. Like, I'll go play the RE2 remake now because mm-hmm. like, yeah. Leon's the main character in that. And I think it's just. Like you can just drop in wherever you want, which right. I think makes it very, um, like more appealing to to everybody. Yeah, no, and it does have a good cast of characters. I think you were talking about seeing Wesker in the opening thing, and he's a very interesting villain for the early entries. And then you do have some protagonists that have a little bit of personality, and I think Leon obviously has been featured in a lot because he became so popular after four. But you know, then you have a lot of these side characters, like you have Ada Wong, who's also mm-hmm. part of. Resident Evil 4, like her own chapter in that. And it's like, oh, so now you get these people who are kind of popular because they're always like helping out the main character or whatever. Yeah. It is cool too because like you'll have a beloved character just like not be in an entry for like two, three games at a time and then they pop back up and you're yeah. like, oh shit, there's Chris or like there's Claire. Like mm-hmm. this is this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. it's And it's interesting too how much the story does disconnect as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. It's less about the Umbrella Corporation, just sort of about the weird things that are in the world create like these parasites or whatever. But I think maybe that gets us a good opportunity here to, to really jump into the history and the development of the first game. Cause uh, the first one, which we talked about was called biohazard um, began in 1993. The development did with uh, Tokuro Fujiwara. Um, and he told Shin, Shinji Mikami, who you mm-hmm. talked about before, yep. and some of the other co-workers to create a game using elements from Fujiwara's own um, game called Sweet Home on Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And reading this article is the first time I even heard of that. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it was the first game that really started to play with survival horror as like a theme. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. based off of a movie. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. And it's like, I remember I saw some clips of it. It's very, very intense and cool looking. Yeah. <laughs> what movies is it close to? It's literally like a Japanese yeah. movie called Sweet Home. I oh, believe. is that right? Yeah. But I don't think the movie was really like popular at no, all. No, no. Um, but it did serve as like the source material okay. for the game. It's not based on the movie House, is it? No, but it's very similar vibes. Is it? Yeah. You've seen House? I've seen clips of both. <laughs> 
<laughs> House has been on is in HBO Max and is on my queue, and I've been circling it I, for a while. I'm gonna just say this to you going into it: whatever you think House is gonna be, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's not. You're not gonna get like. Uh, yeah, when he when he comes up with those medical diagnoses, you're like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, I didn't see emphysema coming. Now, where did I leave my painkillers? <laughs> <laughs> so, in late 1994, um, when marketing executives were setting up the release of Biohazard in the U.S., it was pointed out that uh, securing rights to the name would be difficult because there was a. Um, a Microsoft DOS game already out that had been registered under that name, which if you even remember whatever game Biohazard was, I don't luck. know. I think I have a memory of there being a game like that, but obviously it doesn't have the staying power of Resident Evil. So they had uh, decided to have a contest that was held among the company personnel to choose the new name, and the competition turned up the name Resident Evil which is how it has been released and proceedingly named in the West from there on forward. I gotta say better title. Resident Evil better than Biohazard? I think so. I just love it when like the creepy dude says it when you load the mm. game. You're like, Resident Evil. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit. Yeah, that's how you know it's real. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely more fitting with the first game too, especially the fact that Ooh. it's like in a creepy mansion, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, ah, yes, the Resident Evil is evil. <laughs> but it feels like the rest of the series, Biohazard does kind of feel <laughs> thematically more on point, but... It still works. It's a it's a good title. And yeah, you are just kind of like intrigued by it when you hear it. So Resident Evil made its debut on PlayStation in 1996, uh, later ported to the uh, Sega Saturn, RIP. Yep. Yeah. So the uh, first entry in the series was one of the first games to be dubbed as a survival horror, um, which uh, kind of coined that whole new genre after that. And I mean, certainly it inspired several different games. I think you can point to a lot of different ones, including Silent Hill and, you know, I mean, a bunch of other fatal frame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you name it. Right. Even though those games were a little different, but still the idea persevered. And, you know, so Resident Evil gives players the choice between two characters that we already talked about from the what is called like this uh, strike team called Stars um, and the members Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine are the first two protagonists. And they are uh, charged with navigating a mysterious mansion where the other half of their team has gone missing. And yeah, and shenanigans ensue from there <laughs> when they find that there are zombies there. Oh no! <laughs> Joe mentioned that opening video for the first game. Yeah. And when I load that up the other day, I was like, man, this is spooky. That video is cool. There should be, it's like a Rob Zombie music video or yeah. something. I feel like whoever directed that, like, they just need to make a movie out of it. Yes. Like, cast the same people. Let's do it. Like, that shit slapped. We'll, we'll get to the movies later. You oh, guys, <laughs> how, they, how they did with that. But, I mean, it did. It really had such creepy themes, even for what the game was at the time. Being, like, you know, under 10 years old, you're like, shaking in your boots a little bit whenever that game was on mm -hmm. it just felt like the whole environment like you said like fred was saying it's just dread right the steps the loading screens with the door opening mm -hmm. it's like creaky yes. as hell and you're like oh shit like what's gonna be on the other side of this you're just mm -hmm. terrified yeah that was my review of this i was like i don't like these controls but the vibes 
or immaculate. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it was great. The tank controls, especially now, I mean, they were very revolutionary at the time because I felt like, you know, it was very necessary for the type of environment they were trying to present, right? It's all 3D and you're trying to, like, you know, navigate through this, but playing it in a modern system, you're like, this is, this is extremely frustrating. Right, because there's yeah. games that have that fixed camera, but the controls aren't like that, like, right? No. Yeah, and I've actually read that like when they were making the game they kind of did experiment with like better controls but mm. they were like it was too easy to kill the zombies <laughs> like they it didn't like you don't feel threatened by enemies um, in the same way so it's kind of like a design choice but like as a modern gamer like that stuff to go back to. yeah it's like make your zombie harder to kill them or something yeah. don't make controls worse yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i feel like the game already has a challenge in itself as i kind of mentioned before with the ammo limitations right. that you run into like especially when you're facing like a horde of a couple of them in the hallway and it's like okay i just ran out of handgun bullets all i have is a shotgun and <laughs> You're just like, okay, trying to count the shells that you're shooting and wondering where the hell the exit is. Yeah, it's it's cool because like one unique thing in the American version of Resident Evil 1 is there they, there's an auto-aim feature that's actually disabled for the American release because oh. they didn't want people to rent the game. They, want, they wanted to make it hard mm -hmm. so you would have to buy it. Um, but like in Japan, rent, renting games wasn't a thing. Right. So it actually was like a little easier in its original Japanese version, um, but to kind of sell more in the U.S., they kind of made it more difficult on purpose, which I find kind of interesting. And like renting, like renting isn't a thing anymore, but back then, like the effect that it actually had on games that were coming out back then. Definitely. Yeah. Like I, I even heard for Resident Evil 2, that was just like something they were thinking about while developing. It was <laughs> like, we don't want people to rent this. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It is crazy just how long the series has been around that, like, you're like, oh, yeah, renting games was, like, a problem right. to game companies trying to make sales back then. Yeah, and I think <laughs> if you try to explain that to anybody now of, like, you know, of a younger generation about what renting games was like, they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Why don't you guys just have your subscription service? Like, <laughs> the last game I rented, though? 2017. Whoa. Because we lived in, uh, I almost said Fond du Lac. I did live in Fond du Lac, but... Uh, when we were living in West Allis, there was still family video. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you still rent games? And I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It was like five <laughs> bucks to rent a game. <laughs> Dang, that's awesome. So, I mean, this game definitely, I mean, it set a trend, as we talked about thematically. I think it set a trend for the series in terms of what we did. But even one thing, it even kind of went above and beyond was with the remake. So I was kind of curious for it. So what the director's cut you played? You played a director's cut of the original version of yes. the game. Okay. Which felt like it had the same graphics because I saw there's like a better graphic version of one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like that. That was $20 on the PlayStation Plus. So I was like, too rich for my blood. Too. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was like the old school version, but probably just had more stuff in it. You gotcha. know, like more scenes. And... It's, it's tough, though. Yeah. You're right. The controls are definitely a barrier. But I think the way that the fixed camera uh, went through the game, especially when you're talking about like iconic video game scenes i think everybody talks about like the dogs jumping through the the window is like yeah. one of like, the scariest moments of any video right. game yeah. tyrant busting through the tank like that's another yeah. like crazy one right and it's like all these things that like if you were able to move a camera angle around or something like that you would not get to experience <laughs> real time because it's like half the thing is that you're moving down the hallway right and all you're like oh shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, 
it's it's crazy but um yeah the remake came out so i think it wrote 2002 down is right it came on playstation 2 and controlled a lot like resident evil 4 which made it like super playable Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i mean that's the version i play i've actually never i've only played one on the playstation like for like a a minute whereas like i spent a lot more time with the remake and yeah i was so impressed with like the way they updated it yeah and i think one thing to bring up with one is like the voice acting i mean so many iconic lines like yeah uh jill sandwich and master of lock picking like i Mm -hmm. think I think that's part of the charm, though, where it's kind of like campy, like the voice acting is is like back then there was limitations of like how they recorded it. But I think that kind of is part of the charm and the vibe of the series. And I think that has carried over probably not so much with seven and eight, but kind of through the Umbrella Chronicle type of Mm -hmm. Resident Evils. Right. Well, it just added a lot more of a cinematic aspect to a time in games when that was kind of rare outside mm-hmm. of like, yeah, like you have like an announcer on a game going like, like Resident Evil or like Tekken two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And like, you don't get as many like things where you do get see and hear the voice acting, especially coming off a generation. This is not too far removed from the super Nintendo where like that just wasn't an option. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just like this game couldn't have been made until the PlayStation one came out. And I think, uh, Fujimura who made sweet home was like, he was waiting for the right hardware to come out and kind of handpick Shinji Mikami, which obviously turned out to be a galaxy brain level move. Cause mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about the series 20 some years later for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, one is revolutionary, but I would say even two probably escalated the series into I mean, superstardom. Right. Mm-hmm. It, I think that was, if one was kind of announcing like, Hey, here's a new game. That's kind of changing like what a game can be two is like okay here's what resident evil can be yep and that's the game that stands out as like the pop culture i like of those older games resident evil 2 is like it's featured in like uh what i'm trying to think of the edgar wright series spaced and like mm-hmm. whenever you see resident evil like the old resident evils in a movie or something it's gonna be resident evil 2 like yeah it's huge <laughs> it is and i think it's it pretty much expanded the world too. And it kind of did the same thing of like, if you were to equate uh, Resident Evil one to like Arkham Asylum, where you are just kind of going around this like interior area, suddenly now you have the Arkham city version, right? Of it, right. Where you're out in a city and you're getting to see all these zombies out in the, these different environments. And you're trying to make your way from building to building through the streets of Raccoon city. And it's like, it just completely enlarged the scope by like, hundred times mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um so resident evil came out or resident evil 2 came out in 1998 so two years after uh the arrival of the original and uh they had that remake come out a couple years ago in 2019 and the script was handled by noboru Shug- oh god <laughs> sugiyama Sugi- sugimura sugimura mm, yeah yeah i was like oh i'm gonna butcher this <laughs> uh who I wrote down was a professional TV writer that uh, they brought in who had previously worked as a head writer on Super Sentai, which for American audiences would know that better is the inspiration series for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It also lifted a lot of the uh, footage from that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, he's kind of been he was not only the, the father of Resident Evil 2 here in terms of developing the story, but also gave us Power Rangers as we know it. Um, 
So originally he was just hired to help uh, an existing sequel script that was written by uh, Kamiya, but he ultimately requested to do an entire rewrite on the story from start to finish. And um, yeah, it's actually interesting because Hideki Kamiya, who Shinji Mikami had picked to direct Resident Evil 2, mm-hmm. his original concept, yeah, they basically completely scrapped it and kind of had to start from scratch, which was kind of unheard of in game development just mm-hmm. because like it takes so long to make these right. games is you can't really just like you know spend time building a concept that you're just going to scrap and he actually it was like completely unrelated to resident evil one like the story wasn't supposed to really be connected at all mm-hmm. but yeah then sugimura came in and was like he was a huge fan of resident evil one and basically was like how can you like develop a sequel and like not connected to the to the main game like it's such yeah. a missed opportunity and yeah, they kind of went back to the drawing board and and better for it. Like, it's just like, yeah, when you think of Resident Evil 2 is like probably most of people's favorites or like it just really resonated with people. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I mean, like we've already talked about, like it changed the scope of the whole series. But I think what what makes that game resonate so well is that it did connect right back. It's like, okay. You're not just in a haunted house anymore where there's zombies around in the courtyard or anything like that. No, you're at, you're in the streets of like, you know, a New York City or something like that. And it's like every turn could be deadly or every everything needs uh, is a challenge to get access just to like the fire department or something. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's crazy the the development history on this entire series because it seemed like they would just generate all these different ideas and some of them would just go for nothing like <laughs> yeah it's like a lot of these games they would like generate multiple incarnations of it and kind of like pick the best one yeah and i think like one and two in particular like capcom capcom yeah, was not yeah. like particularly doing well and they were like we need to hit a home run to keep the company financially afloat and they did like mm-hmm. yeah it's like resident evils always sell well especially one and two right yeah and so i mean the game story takes place two months after the events of the first game, um, and it's set in Raccoon City, as I mentioned before, which is supposed to kind of be like in a Midwest-ish like mountain community, mm-hmm. kind of like a Denver or something <laughs> like that, right? And uh, so in this, the the residents have all been transformed into zombies by this T-virus, and uh, once again, Umbrella is behind it. I guess we didn't really get into the plot of the first one. I don't know, like... What, what, how would we summarize that? Because <laughs> there's so much lore behind it. Well, you see, the Stars Team Beta was sent in because Stars Team Alpha went in to check out the raccoon situation, mm-hmm. raccoon city situation. There weren't like actual raccoons, but I bet there are zombie raccoons running yeah, around. You would think. missed opportunity. But they show up and they're like, "Wait, what's happened to Alpha? We don't know, but we know they got zombified." And it's just kind of pretty much you're uncovering that this is all a big corporation trying to cover up like an incident involving their like experimentations. Yeah. So it's like I think there's you have the good guys coming in but then you have these other like you know people from Umbrella or whatever and you're like what is their deal? Yeah, and I think it's it's funny that so many years even before I would say that the um criticisms on Big Pharma really hit ahead as they have now mm-hmm. that we have a whole game series about a pharmaceutical company 
um, which <laughs> very appropriately named Umbrella, as many are now, and buying up smaller pharmaceutical companies to become one big, like, kind of like, you know, oligarchy. But just the fact that it's like they are trying to cover up this conspiracy or like, you know, that they like let this out into the world, which especially going through a pandemic recently, really kind of hits it a little different than even did in 96. Yeah, it's just interesting yeah, because there's like corrupt people like running the city, too, and like looking the other way for Umbrella to conduct their operations. And yeah, just like the secret lab that they have underneath the mansion. And yeah, the it's just kind of was ahead of its time in like commentary on these larger corporations taking advantage of, of people, which um, some of the later series, I think literally like they, they go a little, little direct on it, but I think, you know, it's such a fascinating lore and kind of just keeps coming up throughout the series. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, we have Albert Wesker, who's kind of like a, a, he's part of stars though. Isn't he originally? So he actually is originally working for umbrella. Okay. He's like a scientist working for umbrella but then he leaves um, and kind of becomes a double agent working for stars. So right. he's like your captain. Um, but he really is kind of manipulating things behind the scenes to the extent we don't really find out until later games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he used to work for Umbrella, um, kind of becomes a double agent working for stars and is kind of orchestrating this whole event of having um, the stars team infiltrate the mansion to kind of collect data on like how trained combatants would perform against these monsters that umbrella has created yeah and so ultimately chris and jill kind of upturn this whole like operation and managed to escape the mansion successfully <laughs> yeah they blow that shit up like the rocket launcher at the end like that's just iconic like yeah. you get one tossed from a chopper and you have to shoot a rocket at a huge monster and that's basically every Re resident evil ending right yes. there yep. Spoil <laughs> I suppose we should we should say even though for this episode it's gonna we're gonna be diving into a lot of spoilers so sorry we didn't give you a heads up if you've had thirty years to play Resident Evil <laughs> but um but yeah I think yeah so just prepare for that going forward I think we're gonna just kind of without much prejudice just get into uh, spoiler country and I think uh, I know we we jumped back but if we're kind of focusing on two it's also the start of a like a game function, if you want to call it that, that stays with the series and gets reinvented, which is the foreboding large boss that can follow you through the map, mm -hmm. which I've only played two in the remake form for like the PlayStation 4 or 5, whatever. But I'm very curious of what that was like playing on the PlayStation or whatever with that hulking the tyrant. Mr. X. Mr. Yeah, X. Yeah, it's a version of Tyrant called Mr. X that kind of stalks you throughout the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, like, was Tyrant, oh, was he pretty prevalent in Resident Evil 2? Like, the original? He was, I think, to the extent that the remake does it, where he kind of can appear and follow you, just because, like, the AI and, like, con like the enemies just didn't really behave in that way in RE2. So he's kind of more like, uh, he pops up, you know, he's in it, but he's not quite what he is in the remake, which is like terrifying. When you right. hear those boots clanking behind you, you're like, oh, shit, like I got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, obviously they will escalate to a new level, too, in the third one. But uh, yeah, to focus on two again. So basically picking up from those events from the end of one, we have. Yeah, uh, it's Claire Redfield and Leon Kennedy who gets. Uh, introduced in this one claire being the sister of chris redfield from the first one 
who are also stars members, but basically trying to navigate their way through the city and ultimately uh, try to <laughs> escape a city that is like falling into shambles, like from this, this mm-hmm. virus outbreak here. Right. And I think one of the cool things that got developed here that they actually had started developing late in the development of the first game is the idea of zapping is Kamiya like or Kamiya had uh, dubbed it, which basically was the idea of like, rather than having your choices affect the outcome of like each person's story, it's like the narrative is kind of set and then you can kind of go back and forward between each of the two. So you see like how um, Claire and Leon's efforts are like impacting the, the story at large at the same time. And it's something that would persevere then pretty much for, well, most of the games that feature two protagonists, which was not all of them, as Mm -hmm. we know. But, um, yeah, I think it was pretty revolutionary even for the time. You didn't have a lot of games where you were going between multiple protagonists. Not at least not that I could think of. Yeah, I think, you know, Resident Evil 1 had, like, you could kind of pick your own character. And I think 2, you know, being able to pick between Leon and Claire was, like, really interesting as well just because yeah you would kind of like intersect with with each other you'd kind of see each other Mm -hmm. as you go through the series Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think you know like we're saying resident evil always kind of finds ways to reinvent itself but kind of you know keep those concepts that are that are core to the series right yeah and it's it's definitely just a a trendsetter Mm -hmm. i think for video games at large what are some of you guys' memories, though, besides, I guess, the Tyrant, obviously, is a huge piece of that, where he's kind of following you through, especially in the remake with him being Mr. X. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, with Resident Evil 2, I mean, what are what are some of the memorable moments or things that you guys are noted about this game? Well, I think the best thing, I mean, the remake is the first remake that they use the RE engine that mm-hmm. Capcom built. So it's an internally built engine that Capcom's used in a lot of games, actually. But like I think it just looks like gorgeous. Like it looks really cool. And yeah, it's just like they do such a good job at kind of using that over the shoulder, especially in the remake of kind of building up that tension. Mr. X, like he just pops up at the most inconvenient times and I think it's just you know kind of gets that adrenaline pumping and Yeah. And also shout outs to the PC mod community who like they've done mods where like they'll turn Mr. X into like Thomas, the tank engine and he'll like pop up behind you. You're like, Oh shit. And you got a big ass Thomas face behind you. (laughs) Well, I know like you brought up mods. I remember hearing like, I think there's a version of like resident evil two, where if you beat it, you can be like a giant piece of tofu. What? (laughs) Yeah. It's like either one or two. And it was because it was their placeholder, you know, when they were trying to do like spatial testing, Mm. They used this big piece of tofu, and apparently that was something that you could play as. Wow. It was like a secret unlockable thing. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, it is a, a element of Resident Evil 2, it looks like. But this is hilarious. It's just like a... a pol- like He's wearing like, like a police hat and a baton. <laughs> it's just a piece of tofu standing in the middle of the street. That's amazing. Well, that's from the remake, though, too, but it's pretty pretty funny to see that. Yeah, I and I think 2 had a lot of interesting story elements, too. I remember just, like, I mean, certainly 1 introduced the idea that, like, you're going to run across a lot of, like, characters that, like, you're befriending and they die, but it's just sort of, like, 
like, you know, you're trying to like solve these puzzles too. And I think that's an element too, that we really get into with one, but just the fact that it is a survival horror and that it's almost kind of like the grandfather of the escape room games, right. Mm-hmm. Of like, you need to find this key to get through this door or you need in resident evil Two, You need to go talk to the dude who's locked himself in the, the prison cell, right. In mm-hmm. order to, to get through the other door in the building. And like, there's just so many like different ways that you had to think laterally beyond the fact that you're just shooting zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many different elements to this game that define what survival horror is. Yeah. And I mean, and it really did set the trend for a lot of different games in the series. And then going forward, Resident Evil two kind of feels like, again, sort of announced what Resident Evil, the series was going to be moving forward. I don't know. Any other thoughts on two though? came on two discs that's pretty crazy two discs yeah two discs oh man move over Meta- final fantasy 7 metal gear solid that's yeah. what i was <laughs> <laughs> was metal gear solid was on two discs mm-hmm. wow and the two discs for resident evil 2 was one was like for one was claire Leon and then one, one was claire for yeah yeah so yeah yeah do you Great. remember people making a big deal out of that <laughs> i will say since we're kind of talking about the remakes as we're talking about the like entries and I don't want to jump ahead because this isn't really like saying my rankings or anything. But I will say I think that remake of two, they spent more time than they did on any of the other remakes on just flushing out the like backgrounds in mm-hmm. the rooms. Because four is great and it looks good, but I still think two is the best looking of these remakes. I think maybe the smaller space, maybe mm-hmm. because been around for so long they could tinker with it more mm-hmm. yeah uh, maybe because it wasn't as evolved they could make more you know choices with it but i think that's like one of the best looking games is the resident evil 2 remake i mean if you look at the graphics too yeah you definitely mm-hmm. see how far it's coming i think joe mentioned too that it's on the new engine and i think they were trying to make like a kind of an announcement too of like here's what we can do with this mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and it's it's a beautiful game so as far as the the story, because I think it's relevant to where three picks up because that's very integral to it. So the whole idea, right, is that Chris and or Chris, I mean, Chris is obviously involved in the series, but it is Claire. <laughs> Claire Redfield. Just going to say Redfield and you can mm-hmm. fill in the gap. <laughs> so they are trying to escape the city. Right. And. So they encounter um, William Birkin. Right. Who is kind of the creator of like the advanced virus. Mm hmm. William Birkin his is kind of betrayed by Umbrella and he gets attacked mm-hmm. and he ends up injecting himself to kind of fight back mm-hmm. um against Umbrella. One of the things that happens during that encounter is like the rats kind of like get into the the samples that he kind of spills on the ground, which as you're saying, like kind of ties into three and like Raccoon City just like being completely infected. And, like, the first part of Resident Evil 3, like, takes place before 2, which is, like, interesting because, like, the stories are so tightly connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how William Birkin gets gets involved along with his wife and his daughter in the in the series. Right. Yeah. And then, so, as we were saying, so, in Resident Evil 3, if we even want to start touching on that story. So, yeah, this one follows, it's Jill, right? Jill Valentine's Jill, back yep. from the first yeah, one. Yeah, Jill's in 3. So, it kind of follows, like, connects how she got toward to raccoon city before the events of the second game. And then later on, it picks up after the events of the second game. 
So we're kind of seeing Jill's perspective through all these things. <laughs> and it's super clear when you play the third one that that's going on. <laughs> I can sense the sarcasm. <laughs> well, like until recently, like I said, I've played the majority of these games and I don't know. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Now that I, we've been doing research, been watching a lot of like recaps, and I'm definitely more familiar with it. But before I was playing it, I'm like, I know the gist, you know, Umbrella Bad. Yeah. <laughs> no good. And uh, yeah, I'm just like, I was struggling. Like, I don't know who these people are in relation to each other or what they want or who they work for, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's... It's definitely, I mean, as much as they are connected, yes, they definitely add a whole lot of layers to the lore. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this has just come down to, like, Umbrella has fucked over a lot of people, mm-hmm, and yeah. they're all kind of doing things in their own way, either to try and get back in good graces with them or to get back at them. Yeah, right? Right. Umbrella bad, stars good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. I like it. Yeah. The stars can sometimes be bad, right? Oh, sometimes. shit, that's right, Wesker. <laughs> Talk about Krieger, not right? all stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not all stars are stars. Uh, so Resident Evil 3, which was subtitled Nemesis, was first released in 1999. Uh, so just a year after uh, the development of number two. So as soon as Resident Evil 2 was clear that became a success, Capcom, they had already greenlit a third one after the first one, but then they were kind of slow playing the the production a little bit but really once it was resonated that like two was going to be a hit they're like okay we got to get three in progress they actually greenlit two other games too at the same time so it was resident evil 3 resident evil 0 which takes place before the first game and then resident evil code veronica which was sort of just like a parallel story right so the timing of three maybe in a little after uh it tip it takes place after mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Zero is another one that PlayStation has, like, most of these games in PlayStation Plus. They want money for Zero. <laughs> Which is the one that looked good to me, even though people <laughs> say is bad. My biggest issue with Zero, and I know we're not quite there yet, because we will, we will talk a little bit about Zero, but the tank controls are still there, and... Yeah. Oh, God. I would say it's ripe for a remake. Let's remake Resident Evil Zero. Yeah. We gotta save those. (gasps) Yeah, I gotta save... Don't show you Much like the Resident Evil series, we're kind of jumping around, you know, we're doing a little take here, but we're gonna follow up the tape from the beginning, you know? We're mixing it up. Yeah, it... We are... We're definitely kind of just jumping around. Because I think it, the the story and the development kind of mandates that we do it because this is basically how they approached it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I mean, part of the, the thing with 3 was that they weren't sure about how the story was going to come together for 2 because obviously it was in production already. So they had to kind of rewrite what was going to happen in 3 because Jill Valentine wasn't even supposed mm-hmm. to be the main character. It was supposed to be Claire Redfield back, but... Because, like, they implied that Jill is going to be around again. They're like, oh, I guess we put Jill in the <laughs> Well, I think it's also because Claire and Chris were going to be in Code Veronica. So it's like, well, we can't have her in 3 and Code Veronica at the same time. <laughs> right. Um, an interesting thing about the development of 3 is they kind of knew the PlayStation 2 is coming. Mm-hmm. So they kind of wanted the resident evil game on there but they couldn't really wait 
that long for a game to come out. So Resident Evil 3 actually started as like a side mm-hmm. side game. Like it wasn't supposed to be a numbered game. Mm. Um, but like throughout the game, you know, it you know showed a lot of promise. They wanted to use Jill in it. Um, and eventually put a numbered number on it, which was kind of a big deal because like three, I think when you compared to the other games, like it's a lot shorter. Like yeah. you don't really think of it as like the same length as like two or, or four. And that's really because of its origins as starting as more of like a like a side game and not necessarily a numbered entry in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually they made it one. And and yeah, it's 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 really cool. Like the, the nemesis that stalks you, it kind of it's like the origins of Mr. X in the, mm-hmm. in the RE2 remake. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so funny, too. Yeah, that we go looks like the remakes go back to the the sequels to find inspiration and how they're going to go forward because like the plot of three feels like it's a side game (laughs) not like in like uh like i'm not in a mean way but because it sandwiches two like usually you wouldn't think your next sequel is a sandwich of two Mm -hmm. like it's getting very like uh rogue one (laughs) yeah so yeah exactly as as we were saying that it was originally attended as a standalone expansion from two but um, rather than doing an entire new setting with new cast and anything, um, Mikami and then um, newcomer uh, Kazuhiro Aoyama, they agreed to go with Jill, Jill Valentine and made her the protagonist of the game. And I think I, I might have mixed this up before, but to clarify, so Jill Valentine was going to be in Code Veronica, but when they made the decision or when they found out that like Claire Redfield was going to survive too, they were like, well, Claire can just be mm-hmm. <laughs> Code Veronica, and that way we don't have the same protagonist of both of the games. Right. So they're kind of sharing the wealth, and then they're they're creating a a cast that perseveres them throughout the rest of these games. And then so in this game, Jill is attempting to escape Raccoon City while being tracked down by Nemesis, <sighs> and it's divided into parts. We mentioned first half takes place a day before the events of Resident Evil Two, and then the second half occurs two days after the conclusion of two and it, it basically just kind of expands on like you're saying the settings that we saw in two with the raccoon city and kind of provides a conclusion to what happens to the people in the city mm. itself uh, it's, just, it's not a good thing no umbrella bad <laughs> let's umbrella remember bad. that umbrella bad umbrella bad. do it stars good joe good. good this star's good stars <laughs> as nemesis says so the whole idea then is right nemesis was once a stars member, right? He, well, I think he was programmed to hunt stars. But I wasn't he? Wasn't his like the person that becomes? Or am I, I might be. You're thinking, thinking of the movies. I think I'm thinking of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the plot lines in the movies. Um, in the game, I mean, he's like another version of the tyrant, and he is programmed to hunt stars, which is why he's always yelling about stars. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the game kind of starts, you know, Jill, um, kind of dealing with a little PTSD from her, uh, incident in Resident Evil one. Yeah. And, and yeah, she's got nemesis hunting her as she tries and escapes the city, um, because it's about to be bombed by the government because <laughs> they're just like, Oh shit. Like we got to cover all this up and, and get rid of the virus. Perhaps there'll be a countdown of some sorts. <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> but I think one of the cool things about three is that, you know, Jill is a female protagonist and the only protagonist in this game, which back then felt like a pretty big deal just because, you know, 
it was usually just like a bunch of dudes that would normally serve as the heroes of each game. Um, I know one and two, you had Claire and, and Jill, but kind of giving her her own game, I thought felt was, was, was really cool. And I think, um, kind of iconic, like her like outfit in the game. Um, yeah. like it's like very memorable. Um, and the she's cover. like one of the most popular the cover. Yeah. And I think it's just like, yeah, it's, it's Jill's been a mainstay. Like she's in like the Marvel versus Capcom games. Um, she makes appearances everywhere. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think you make a good point too, because at that time, I think really the only other games would have like a very prominent female protagonist was maybe like Tomb Raider. Yeah, Tomb Raider. And even then, it felt like Laura. It's a bit oogly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they kind of objectify Laura Croft a bit, which was sort of the whole idea with getting Angelina Jolie, right? As yeah. <laughs> in the live action. But yeah, and I think it's cool too. Yeah, the, even with Code Veronica, they did the same thing. I know we're going to be talking about that next, but just the idea that they are putting these female protagonists that they've had at the forefront and really changing the game a bit. Um, ultimately, you know, it it sets the tone i think for that you can have kind of a bunch of different people leading the story it doesn't revolve around you know uh like one person not john wick every movie mm-hmm. right or every every installment it can be a totally different person in this world so what were you guys thoughts then on three knowing that you kind of pick up off of tyrant uh coming after you fred <laughs> Now you got Nemesis coming after you. <laughs> well, to be honest, I rented two and three, or not rented. <laughs> I bought from the PlayStation Store two and three, like back to back. So it kind of feels like one whole game to mm-hmm. me. So I didn't feel any of the criticism about the length because I think I literally like rolled credits on two and I was like, <laughs> all right, and three. So I had no like, t- I, I didn't feel shorter or anything. Uh, I think. At least in the remake, it was nice to introduce the uh, who's the other character in uh, three. Carlos. I like Carlos yeah. a lot, and he he also has kind of higher power weaponry, mm-hmm. which I feel was a little newer. I'm guessing because two has some of that, but not like three. Yeah, like automatic weapons and stuff. They start introducing more in two and three, which I think was just like kind of like the more like. We want to make it more like a Hollywood movie yeah, or something, yeah. more like action, like give people like higher powered guns and whatnot. Yeah, and it's uh, and Carlos, uh, spoiler alert, he gets the drop on Nemesis, right? Doesn't he the one that shoots the the so. the riot rocket launcher that explodes? Yeah, he shoots him. I think he he saves Jill like a ton of times. Um, and yeah, another uh, series villain that gets defeated by a rocket launcher. Uh, <laughs> Resident Evil classic. I mean. It's almost better to count what sh- how many games do you not beat the <laughs> the uh, boss with the rocket launcher. I think seven and eight are probably the probably ones. you don't. Yeah, eight ends really actiony, but I don't know if you get a rocket launcher. Yeah, mm. like eight's like oh we're doing this now, which I like. Yeah, <laughs> but it's on its it's on its bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, ooh, it's letting its hair down. I like it. <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, maybe in, in today, you would see Nemesis more, and I'm talking about the game itself, not just uh, the character, would maybe be just a DLC mm-hmm. for another game, like a very chunky DLC, kind of like Phantom Liberty with Cyber, Cyberpunk recently, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like it's almost like a whole other segment of the same story, even though it's kind of standalone mm-hmm. in, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we've been talking a little bit about Code Veronica, but the fourth game in the series was Code Veronica. So that was uh, finally released in the year 2000, so the year after Resident Evil 3. Um, later re-released for Dreamcast um, as an updated form. But uh, by October 1998, so ideas were rapidly changing. We talked about the idea that they had planned it to be Jill, replaced her with Claire when it was clear that Claire was going to survive uh the ending of two and basically they wanted to just kind of capitalize on that right away and be like well okay rather than yeah feature one protagonist let's have the other person kind of step in here and the game is set three months after the events of resident evil 2 and resident evil 3 following claire and chris in their efforts to survive the outbreak in a remote prison island in the southern ocean um in a research facility in Antarctica. 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 Uh, Capcom. Capcom. Antarctica. (laughs) (laughs) So the game retains a lot of the traditional survivor horror controls and gameplay of the previous installments, but unlike the pre-rendered backgrounds of the previous games, they use completely real-time 3D environments and dynamic camera movement, so adding some new perspectives to the series. Yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on Code Veronica? Have you either of you played it? I have played it, and I think one of the things that stands out to me about this is that it was originally made for Dreamcast, mm-hmm. which you know I was a huge Dreamcast guy. Like I loved my Dreamcast as a Street Fighter fan. Like tons of classic entries on that, like Sonic, uh, tons of other Capcom games. Yeah. Um, I think it was interesting that they released it for Dreamcast and then eventually ported it to PS2 because obviously the Dreamcast wasn't that successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Dreamcast. (laughs) I love Dreamcast. Let's bring Dreamcast back. Um, But uh, yeah, I think the cool thing was, yeah, like you you get to play as Claire, but another thing, like I'd mentioned before, where kind of characters will get sidelined for multiple entries, like Chris comes back, Wesker comes back, and he's like a huge um, part of the story which I thought was like, was really cool. Um, plus just like kind of the creepy vibe of like the enemies you encounter, like the Ashcroft family with like the, the brother and the sister. And yeah, it's just kind of really playing up on, on, on the creepy vibes. Yeah. And I think in the development, what I read was that they originally had planned these to be like the Krieger family or something or Kruger family. And they're going to be like this German family, but they ultimately decided for sort of like more of a British, like aristocracy mm-hmm. type uh, family, which is, <laughs> I don't know. This is the start of Western Gothic horror. I feel really getting injected into the series, mm-hmm. which is huge in it now. Yeah, I think that I remember when Code Veronica came out. Like the big deal about it was how graphically beautiful the game was. Like everybody was like, "Look at what these engines can do now!" Because like obviously one, two, and three were big deals, and you know everybody was raving about how creepy they were and how in you know exciting the story was and how difficult some of these games were but i felt like code veronica was the first one where it was like man this this really looks good but i i have not played code veronica and i don't know much about it to be honest yeah so yeah it is streaming on playstation oh shit playstation plus yeah 
Maybe. <laughs> I do. So I, I do think that's pretty common, though. Even as like people that are fans of the franchise, just because it did originally come out on the Dreamcast. I know Code Veronica X, which was like an enhanced version of it, came out on PS2. But mm. you know, I think when you're not like the first console to release on, you kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is a shame. A shame. I mean, like you're saying, like you know, they increase like the graphical fidelity of the game. Like the story is. is is really interesting. Uh, Code Veronica happens before. No, just kidding. It actually mm-hmm. happens after three. Um, but yeah, the the main villains, the Ashcroft family, are actually um, their grandfather was one of the founders of the Umbrella Corporation, and we all know Umbrella Bad. Umbrella Bad. Umbrella Bad. Um, and yeah, so kind of Claire gets entangled with them, and and eventually uh, has to call for help. Uh, from her brother Chris, Big Bro Chris, and he com- comes and helps. And you eventually encounter uh, Wesker is also there because he's interested in the new strain of the virus the Ashcroft family has come up with. Mm. Because at this point, Wesker is basically playing Pokemon with all the various viruses that are <laughs> uh, prevalent in the world of Resident Evil. So he's got to kind of... he's He gets into the story because he wants to... Um, you know, get the virus and you actually find out that he is like an enhanced human now because he injected himself with the virus. And that's kind of how he survived Resident Evil one. And he's just kind of starts becoming this kind of superhuman and kind of is the main antagonist of the series or one of the main antagonists from the series from that point forward. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think this game is something that will definitely come up in my coulda, woulda, shoulda, but uh, oh, I'll save that for later. <laughs> okay. It's like, and he's pretty iconic. I think his look, too. I mean, we talked about how good that actor looked in the opening yeah. of the first one, but Wesker with his, like, sunglasses and his, like, bleach blonde hair. The red eyes behind the sunglasses. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's an iconic villain. I think he's, you know, one of the one of the better ones in, in, the, in like, video games in general. Like, yeah. Like, one of the more iconic ones, at least. He was kind of at a time, I felt like, where, and I think in the X-Files we saw it too, but it's like the creepy agent, like, sort of who's yeah. like watching the the protagonists, right? And he's always kind of, like, manipulating things behind the scenes. He always just manages to show up at those times. And I think that's what, what makes him so powerful. But, yeah, I think it is a time when you're talking about with, like, gothic horror coming into games too. And it's something that I feel like Resident Evil really started taking on and wanting to keep elaborating on. We see it come back in 4 and 8 where we get a lot more of that in the future. And it's just, it adds, I think a different vibe that I like a lot of, because it reminds me of like Dracula and like the older, like universal horror movies for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So resident evil zero was kind of the, the the third part of those trio of games that were written in development following two. And so this one is set before the events of the first resident evil, as we mentioned. And in this one, you get control of some members of Bravo team, which was Rebecca chambers and as well as Billy Cohen, who was a convict who was trying to escape execution, but was uh, on, wasn't he on the train? In the he was on the train. Yeah. yeah. So split up from the rest of the team. So Rebecca stumbles upon this uh, zombie invested train, which is called the Ecliptic Express. Say that 10 times. Ecliptic fast. Express. As uh, part of an abandoned training facility for employees of the Umbrella Company. <laughs> So she teams up with Billy, and the two try to uncover the source of this infestation they have found on this uh, this train, uh, which is eventually what we find as part of this experimentation that Umbrella is doing. 
And so this is another one where it allows you to swap between protagonists, but the other one's being controlled by AI, so it can help you solve puzzles. And uh, it kind of reminds me of, um, do you guys remember the game Lost Vikings? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, Please tell us, Tom. No, I mean, I think that game is a Blizzard game, I believe. It. Oh. That early one, but it basically the idea is, like, you are three Vikings who get lost in all these worlds, and you have to solve puzzles by, like, constantly switching between them and, like, opening doors that the other one can't access. Like, that's that type of game. And I felt like that's a, it's a cool thing to add that to a 3D environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what were some thoughts on Zero? Have you guys all played this? I have played Zero. I never beat Zero. I think it came out on GameCube, uh, kind of a interesting time because I was like, it's kind of more into like multiplayer games at that point. You know, mm -hmm. I was playing my Smash Bros, um, Smasher with my bros. Mm. Um, but I think it is, you know, just cool how throughout the series they kind of explore different uh, timelines. Like this yeah. is before like that squad that got lost that you know delta team in resident evil one is trying to find like that's where rebecca's from uh -huh. um so that's pretty cool that they kind of tie that back in and find opportunities to keep expanding the lore in different ways yeah and you are correct it was gamecube uh november of 2002 i don't think i said yeah that. yeah but yeah i think it's cool that they decided to kind of show where it all started mm -hmm. right like sort of like hey this is what cast <laughs> set off the whole chain of events that cascaded into what we we now know is like the main plot mm -hmm. line so to speak but obviously that will change <gasps> following this game but uh yeah a very cool idea i think there's not enough games that will dive into prequels metal gear solid was one mm -hmm. but um yeah i can't think of too many other games where you go back to the start and I think Zero was one that I found when I had PlayStation Now. Ooh. And Ooh. that was the subscription service that just lets you kind of like stream whichever game. And I think I started playing. I got on the train and I was still having to like turn very intentionally yeah. and mm -hmm. I lost my mind. I was <laughs> like, I cannot, I cannot play this game. Like it's just too much. Especially because this game came out around the same time as that Resident Evil remake, like yeah. the first remake. So mm -hmm. I was like, why did one continue to use the other engine that mm -hmm. they clearly were trying to <laughs> mm -hmm. completely solve? And then Master, as far as we got into uh, Resident Evil 4, which finally strays a bit from the main plot line. So Resident Evil 4, I think, is maybe the most critically well-received iterate installment in the series oh for sure i Definitely. mean i think four is one of the most critically acclaimed games of all time and i mean they yeah it's just excellent yeah it has a case for i think being one of the best games ever mm -hmm. i mean despite earlier announcements in its cycle that it was going to be released on playstation 2 there were four different iterations of the game that ended up getting scrapped one of which resulted in another uh, very popular Capcom game and one I'm sure that Joe would love to talk about someday, Devil May Cry. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I think uh, Hideki Kamiya, who directed Resident Evil 2, kind of always leaned more towards action games. Mm -hmm. And I think with Resident Evil 4, you know, he was kind of developing the first incarnation of it. And then Shinji Mikami was like, wait, this is like too action-y. Like mm -hmm. this doesn't really like have the uh, survival horror kind of gene that all the other 
games had. Yeah. Which eventually, you know, Devil May Cry came out of that, and that's one of the most popular ones. And I mean, Kami has made like Beautiful Joe and and Bayonetta, and obviously he has kind of like that more um, action style, and can definitely like make those types of games. Yep. But yeah, and then uh, so Mikami decided to make that the series exclusive for uh, GameCube, this uh, Resident Evil 4. So while Devil May Cry moved forward on PlayStation 2, he brought this only to GameCube. And the game was released on January 11th, 2005. Uh, recently, we saw the remake released in March 24th of 2023. And um, basically, he commissioned the script uh, of his own and worked with uh, Satoshi Yoshimatsu, to create a story that was set after the collapse of Umbrella that could kind of stand on its own and really uh, separate itself from this whole main storyline. But while doing that, bringing back another favorite character with Leon Kennedy, uh, who now worked for a government agency in one of their original drafts. But in the final version of the game, then Leon is, Leon is instead assigned to an unnamed agency that has a direct line to the president of the United States. <sighs> So he's given the job in the game to protect or find and save the the daughter of the president in a um, small village in the middle of Spain. So basically you go through that. You're supposed to uh, save the president's daughter, Ashley Graham. Everybody who's played this knows Ashley's <laughs> thing. <laughs> Something my wife was struggling with the past few weeks. <laughs> Just like, Ashley! She peeks her head in. What's going on? (laughs) Fred, how are you teaching the game to yell? (laughs) So she's been uh, kidnapped by a religious cult in this uh, area in Spain, and Leon has to go through all these hordes. Um, This time, instead of the T-virus, they are uh, infected by, people are infected by a mind-controlling parasite that is uh, La Plaga. Las Plagas. And it's found in Amber. Amber. Mm-hmm. Like Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's in your blood. <laughs> Life finds a way. <laughs> Life finds a way. So this one also sees the return of Ada Wong from Resident Evil 2, who was presumed dead in that game, right? Yeah, she kind of like fell down a pit, and then you don't know what happened to her. Yeah, but she pops back up. <laughs> she back. So the big thing in this game, then, was the departure from the uh, fixed camera angles that we've caught and so used to in the previous games. And now it was the over-the-shoulder third-person view um, as he's kind of going through this world. And, I mean, the game itself is just, I mean, it's extremely playable is the mm-hmm. way I would put it, right? So we've all played and beaten a version of Resident Evil 4, right? Yes. Yeah. As of today. As of today. <laughs> so... Yeah, I guess kick us off. What are your thoughts on Resident Evil 4 overall then, Fred, since you are fresh off of it? I liked it a lot. This is something I was really looking forward to playing. I was going to revisit a couple years ago, but then they made the second remake or third remake, and I'm like, they're going to make the fourth one. Like, yeah. There's no question this is going to happen. So I've been kind of sitting on this game. I had played it at friends' houses where I didn't have enough time to, like, really invest but i have played the beginning of four probably like 20 times at like different people's houses just like (laughs) that first initial village Mm -hmm. i have played so many times so it was great to actually like hunker down and play the whole thing because i really enjoyed that it almost reminded me of like playing an uncharted game because it had almost so many different set pieces and settings versus 
you're all in one police station or you're in city streets like this like has a lot of different even though it's in the same area location styles like from castles to small homes to dungeons you know like yeah it's pretty cool it is cool and i think what's nice is that it is so it has a more open world feel even if it is pretty linear right yeah and i think the switch to the over shoulder over the shoulder camera perspective was just like I mean, the roots of that are still in the remakes, and that's kind of how timeless I think the gameplay that 4 inspired is. Um, you know, just kind of the dynamic in the combat, too, where it's like, oh, shit, I can, like, push over a cabinet and block a window or, like, kick over a ladder and, like, the enemies can't come up and get me. And yeah. just, like, these cool additions that they made to the combat and the environment that I think just, like, made it feel very dynamic. Uh, but also still kind of had that classic Resident Evil tension of like I like I'm I need my ammo, um, I need like to conserve my herbs and first aid sprays, and I think just you know yeah like the different locations, the pacing, like it's 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 just the best. Yeah, <laughs> this is just my favorite entry in the series. Yeah, I mean it's a breath of fresh air. I think too when even though we're using a familiar character in this ser- in this game. The, the idea that, like, you didn't necessarily need to know anything about the story to date. It was very much a brand new, fresh installment and say, like, hey, if you've never played one before, you can grab this game. We'll give you all you need to know about Leon and, like, little mm-hmm. tidbits. And uh, other than that, you're just kind of on this journey. Mm-hmm. And it's just adding a lot of, like, new characters that are fun. And, I mean, the merchant is one that comes up. And other podcasts, we, <laughs> won't, uh, we won't do any more impressions of that because uh, it's been, it's, the bit has been done. But another thing that I heard people say, what are you buying? And not know what it was from for the <laughs> longest time. <laughs> and then, like, when it all clicked in, I was like, oh, this is what it's from. Yeah. Oh, this is what it is. But- the Go merchant ahead. yeah yes <laughs> and i love uh i don't know if this was in the original game but i love uh putting my jewels in some different <laughs> pieces of treasure and mm. selling it to the merchant that's fun give me a whole game of just like making treasure like that yeah it's like i need my like i need to get the same color jewels to like yes. insert I, I got the square square slots and the circle slots I gotta make sure i got my jewels right yeah mm. right i know and it's like oh, there's so many elements to this game you're just trying to find any coin you can at the end and you're like i need more rockets like, yeah <laughs> the weapon upgrades i feel like you could kind of like i think the cool thing about resident evil is i think in a lot of modern games like you'll find a gun and like, that's the gun you always use. Yeah. Right? Resident Evil, you're like, I have a use for my handgun. I have a use for my shotgun. I have a use for like my SMG. Mm-hmm. So like, you can kind of upgrade the gun that you really like. Like mm-hmm. for me, I'm a handgun guy. So I'm like, boom, I'm like Same. upgrading my handgun. Like I'm using that thing all the time. Yeah. Like I'm getting all these like new weapons. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my handgun. Like my default gun. <laughs> that's my favorite one. Which I messed up towards the end. I, th- there was this gun that the merchant had and I thought it was a pistol or like, and it shot like regular bullets, but it was a Magnum gun. Oh, mm-hmm. So I sold my pistol oh, no. and I had a Magnum, which you can't get bullets anywhere in this game for a Magnum. <laughs> no. So I ended up being the game with like a Magnum and SMG and it took forever at the <laughs> end, but uh, I, it was tough. But I have a question about the merchant. Now, is it a new voice? Do you know if it's a new voice in the yeah, new one? It, it is a new voice. he sounds like Idris Elba. 
Yeah, it is a new voice in the remake. They did recast him. <laughs> like even my wife said, like it sounds like Drusilla, but it's like Idrisilba and Luther. That's what it sounds oh. like. Just really putting like the Cogni accent on there. Yeah. Like I want you to put the word back. The word back up. <laughs> well, like, he said, my favorite thing the merchant says every time he's like, "Oh, I think we're beginning to develop your taste." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, that they made a big deal about that. I think a lot of people were pretty upset they recast that voice. Again, a bit that's been been done elsewhere, so we won't dive too far into that. But um, I always liked um, what's the what's the little guy's name? He's like Mister Kennedy. Oh, Salazar. Yeah, yeah Salazar. Yeah, Salazar yeah. Slytherin. You got him. <laughs> Trying to Mister Kennedy. Raul. Yeah. <laughs> Raul, that's the bad guy, like the main villain. Oh, right? that's the little. I thought that's the little guy you were talking. Oh, about. is it Raul? Raul sells. I thought his name mm. was something like that. Do they change the name too? Well, I don't know. I just thought Raul. I thought I was like, this guy doesn't look like a Raul to me. Yeah, Ramon Salazar. Ramon. Ramon. And yeah, here, like his outfit, we're seeing more like they're going towards the gothic and like the castle, like yeah. more of those vibes coming in. It really, yeah, it definitely capitalized on yeah what kind of got set up in Code Veronica, and I think it, it feels good because you feel like you're entering a whole another like level of the game when you finally get into like the, the castle, right? And like mm-hmm. you're moving through there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun game um, that I think has persevered for great reasons and that it's the fact that i think it just started playing like something that felt familiar to other games without necessarily being untrue to what resident evil was about Mm -hmm. which obviously was such a smashing success for capcom 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 uh, that's how I'm not even saying it the same way. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where it's going now. It's evolved. Uh, we recast the Capcom guy. <laughs> so Resident Evil Five then was announced pretty much immediately following the release of Resident Evil Four, um, and the development occurred from 2004 to 2008. And uh, the project was pretty ambitious in that it was relying on a lot of international outsourcing to help build like the motion capture and the cinematics and the music for the game. Eventually, it was released in March 2009, so four years after uh, Resident Evil 4 came out. And it was available this time for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 instead of just the GameCube. So the plot involved an investigation of a terrorist threat by a bioterrorism security assessment alliance uh, agents that were investigating it. It's Chris Redfield back and uh, Shiva Alomar in the area of, is it, I'm... Hopefully not saying this wrong. Is it Kajuju? Kajuju, yeah. I think that's the first village that they that Chris kinda goes to and kicks off the, yeah. Yeah. kicks off the game. So this one then takes place in West Africa, which is a element of the game that I think has not <laughs> aged super well. Yeah. I think that's kind of the first thing to talk about with RE five is you know, we kinda mentioned with RE one kind of some of the kind of this evil corporation type of concepts where it kind of feels a little more innovative. Whereas five, I think they go in the completely opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, yeah, you're in, you know, this African village just like shooting all these people that have been infected. And it just is like, Mm -hmm. I think could have been the opportunity to maybe have like a more smart commentary on like how umbrella manipulates things and like how just companies in general, kind of take advantage of, you know, people that are in the desperate need of help. 
which is unfortunate. Um, I think is kind of five and six, I think kind of start leaning more towards that direction just because, um, I think they're really upping the ante as far as like the action goes mm-hmm. and like the huge blockbuster. And, yeah. um, I think it's just kind of something that needs to be discussed with five and six just cause I think there's things that they, they did to kind of appeal to more Western audiences, but definitely needed kind of a, a, a smarter hand in kind of guiding some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Kind of took the wrong lessons from four where they were like, Oh, well, here you're in a village with people who don't speak English, but it's also like, but it's a colonization country. It's like, you know, there's maybe a little more passive, like, commentary on that, too, of like, well, you know, th- it was just more the, the vibe setting rather than like being like, here, let's look at a low impoverished area. Mm-hmm. And it's just like when you're playing it, it's that's more when it hits you in the wrong way. It's because like the idea of like. Oh yeah, there's definitely pharmaceutical companies that are taking advantage of these countries like who are war torn, you know, and have a lot of stuff going on. Like that is a for lack of a better word, interesting story to tell. But at the end of the day, when you're just like mowing down, you know, a bunch of like Africans and you're this white, like muscly dude, like mm-hmm. it's definitely not a good it's not a good look. Yeah. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, and you know, separate from that, you know, the story mostly follows about uh, Chris, you know, is finally confronting Wesker again, and in this time, Jill Valentine. Sheesh. Oh, man. So, it's the gameplay was pretty similar to four, and through the first series, it actually, as Fred mentioned earlier, developed the co-op play, which was a big draw for people because this was a time when I felt like online play was really starting to take off. Definitely. Oh, it was huge, and co-op was huge too. Like, I mean, I love co-op games, and I think as far as the gameplay goes, like. It is one of, like, it's very unfortunate, the severe issues with the story is that, like, it's, like, one of my favorites to, to play and have fun with just because it is co-op. Um, it does lose that tension and horror element right. just because, like, playing with someone, I think you're going to lose that like, yeah. feeling of isolation, um, which is kind of the direction that they had picked, I think, with 5 and 6. Um, but, yeah, it was, like, just finding new ways to kind of change up their system of like having multiple main characters in the game. Yeah. Again, I think it's a a situation where they took a lot of the wrong lessons from the previous game, Mm -hmm. right? Where it was like, okay, we want to make this more action oriented, but then they're losing sort of that horror element. And that's like, that's what Mm -hmm. resident evil is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At that point, it's kind of like left for dead or something, which I love, but just a different game. And I, I think, yeah, I think the co-op is a thing I always remember from Resident Evil 5, that once you've beaten it, you have these lists of levels that you can jump in at any mm-hmm. place and be like, oh, I want to do this one, mm-hmm. let's co-op and just mm-hmm. play this. And they didn't have that sort of, like, because it felt more of, like, just a story. And it does have a story that you can follow, and it's very action-packed and a blockbuster. But to me, this is the most, like, pick-up-and-play-with-a-friend mm-hmm. of any of the games yeah. that I played, at least. So with this one then, so Umbrella, not quite back in the picture, but just sort of maybe like the legacy of Umbrella is getting picked up a bit. Yeah, because I mean, Wesker is the primary antagonist, and I think it's more kind of like I was alluding to where he's been trying to um, capture or like research all the various strains like RE4, the Las Plagas, like he's um, like researched that code Veronica, like the 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 new strain of the virus there. Um, and he's kind of, yeah, picking up the legacy of umbrella and kind of has this goal of kind of turning, I guess, evolving the human race and very classic 
bad dude <laughs> style. And um, yeah, it's kind of like he's been developing this new virus and, and is like the, the, the boss at the end and, and the antagonist for the game. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and I think it's definitely one that it tried to do different things. And I think it can be commended for that. But I think it definitely the the feedback after that release, remember, was pretty negative overall. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has a lot of detractors. I think for five, I think there were still people that were like pretty positive on it. Um, I do think it's like very cool and like it's conclusion to the umbrella type of storyline and like wesker like we mentioned is like a really cool character and like his story comes to a conclusion in this game um so i think from like the kind of fan servicey like element of being huge fans of the characters i think five you know did a good job at that but i think just very mixed because it loses a lot of the survival horror elements and like the things that like kind of made resident evil resident evil yeah right right but then six kind of picks up more on the gameplay though a little bit more. Yeah. So six, I think kind of, it's interesting how six came about just because I think it was definitely a, another attempt for Capcom to try and appeal to Western audiences. Mm -hmm. But I think they went way too far in that direction and kind of, you know, lost the plot with what made resident evil, resident evil. Yeah. Which I think definitely, I mean, you a lot of games have fallen into this trap, too, where you've gone through, and I think Final Fantasy is definitely one I've thought about, too, where it, it seems like it fell in love with a lot of the new innovations they brought into themselves, and they were like, okay, let's try and keep going down this thread, when it's like, I, what I love, though, was the, the older stuff, like, I felt like they, they do so much of, like, the cyberpunk mm-hmm theme now and now it's like okay now i kind of want to go back to like the the medieval age so resident evil 6 was released in october 2012 and was conceptualized soon after the release of 5 entered full development though in 2009 this development of the game was led by hiroyuki kobayashi who um was brought in by capcom to be uh deliver the most impressive resident evil ever in terms of scope and production (laughs) (laughs) that's what i think of six (laughs) i don't know i've only played like maybe an hour of it and i just decided it wasn't for me although i was excited playing it because it was the first one where you could move and shoot yeah yeah right so i mean this one was also brought back zombies finally (laughs) the last one um because i think you know everyone agreed that was kind of the most popular component of the series kobayashi uh, admitted that the game had radically changed at the end of the development cycle due to a lot of the new concepts and introduced to the series. So even though it brings back uh, Leon and Chris Redfield, Ada Wong, and then we have the character of Jake Muller, um, who are kind of a confronting this force behind this worldwide bioterrorist attack. Uh, the story is kind of centered around their interwoven campaigns as they try and stop it. And it's pretty action-heavy, right? I feel Super they like, took a lot of the stuff that didn't work from 5 and made it more... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of just goes to I think we've we've mentioned this where there's deliberate choices made in how you control Resident Evil that makes it unique and like keeps that like scary element and when you just make it like a Call of Duty kind of style shooter, you lose all that. Mm-hmm. So like 6, yeah, you can mow down all these enemies, but like you're not scared, you don't feel like you're rationing your ammo, you don't feel like, you know, you're looking for green herbs around every corner. Yeah. It just like 
kind of loses the plot in how it tried to, you know, keep ramping up the action, which, you know, that's not Resident Evil. Yeah. And it was like definitely had a pretty negative uh, reception when it came out. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was getting to. I was like, despite bringing all these things back, you know, and all these like popular characters back, it felt like, yeah, it just didn't, didn't hit the right thing. Like, yeah, there's like too many characters. Like Jake turns out to be like the son of Wesker and then, like, Sherry Birkin, who is the daughter of William Birkin from Resident Evil 2, comes back. And it's yeah. like, they just have this huge, like, cast of characters, which is cool. But, you know, the story then loses its tightness and you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I think there's some really bad, uh, what's that, where you have to hit a button at a certain time? Oh, like quick time events. Quick time events. Yeah. There's a lot of those that suck in that one, uh, I remember. That's rough. But yeah, I mean, and I think it it was kind of a, a you know a tempo setter for a Capcom or you know and the Resident Evil developers to be like, or maybe just sort of being like, hey, you know what, what you're doing isn't necessarily going over well here, and so, you know, they decided to go the complete opposite direction for the next installment of the series. So I was going to bring this up earlier, but I also read that this also used the new re engine this was resident evil 7 which had the subtitle of biohazard <gasps> so a little nod to the japanese name of it not that we didn't have a lot to say about six but i think accepting that it's not a great entry and that yeah five and six are kind of problematic <laughs> in different ways don't know, know that we want to spend too much time on them so um but biohazard is resident evil 7 in this case uh basically decided to sh- really shake up what they were doing as far as the whole series and really get back to that survival horror element. And in this case, they um, decided to go more with the first-person shooter idea and um, basically took a lot of inspiration from a little movie that I like to talk about called The Evil Dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. So basically they scaled it back from being like this open world action oriented thing more to a one location, use the first person perspective to really immerse players back into the horror element. Um, even guy has like little elements of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's very right? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So they released this game on January 2017 for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Um, and so they... You know, they had a lot of internal discussions on the direction of this installment. And, you know, even though they had a early version of the game developed in 2013, it went from an idea that was going to be more action-oriented gameplay, similar to our Resident Evil 6, to what it actually became. And this one uh, introduced a brand new character to the series, which was uh, Ethan Winters, who explores the Baker family home, which is in an abandoned rural state in a mansion in Louisiana. 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 Yeah, a place that we like to talk about. That's <laughs> <laughs> our friend wants to talk about. It. So what do you guys have you guys both played seven? I have played seven. As I mentioned earlier, spooky shit is not as much as what I'm into, which I think this leans like super heavily into the spooky shit. Yeah. Um, which personally isn't as appealing to me, but I do think seven is interesting because I think they really took the time to kind of reflect on the things that went wrong with five and six mm. and maybe some of their influences to make it feel like appeal to more Western audiences rather than just like making a good game. 
Um, and I think, you know, going to first person is like really interesting and in how immersive that it makes it feel. And then obviously ramping up on the horror elements um, rather than the action heavy gameplay of, of five and six. Yeah. Which again, I think Fred said it at right at the beginning of the episode, it's different games are going to be for different types of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine this felt a little more on your level. Oh yeah, these these next two entries are they're up there for me. I get they're a little different, but it does bring back some of the stuff that I did miss, which was like the weapon rationing or I guess ammo rationing. Feel four had some good stealth in it, and this has some great just stealth and try not to get caught and some really interesting puzzles. They don't feel like traditional video game puzzles; they feel like story puzzles. Mm. And there's a really great one that like is in this like room with locks, and there's like a birthday cake, and you're like can't you have to carry a light to one area, but there's water that can put it out. Like it's very like uh, Rube Goldberg-y, <laughs> like horror like oh, stuff. Yeah. And I, I just really appreciate it. It's a gorgeous looking game. They just did like an upgrade for it for the PS5, I think, and it looks amazing. Nice. Yeah, and I definitely want to play it. There's also I like a VR it. version. Yeah, that, I would love to do that. Oh yes. Gosh. That's a I want to play much. Village in VR. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, which is definitely a rumored game, I think, that is going to come out if it hasn't been confirmed already. But yeah, I mean, this kind of felt to me, even I have not played Seven yet, so I'm definitely leaning on you guys, but. Um, it felt to me like the way they did Cloverfield, where it was like the first game was very much monster movie found footage. And the second one was like a game that if you didn't know this was called Resident Evil 7, would you even have any suspicion it was part of the series? Not really. No. Yeah. You might, I, you'd have a better. Yeah. Idea. And I think it's interesting because like in the game, obviously the story isn't as directly connected. Um, but like, I think the there's like, you'll find like newspaper clippings that mention like the Spencer estate incident. So you kind of like, you kind of know that it's set in the world, but I think it's kind of part of, they kind of wanted to do somewhat of like a soft reset on the franchise. Just because like after how poorly received six is, they don't want to necessarily lean in to like their classic characters and tropes as much, which I think was great for the franchise. And I mean, this, this, this game is like super well received. (laughs) Are there a lot of zombies in it? Um, I actually, I remember there's very little action in it. Uh, Village ends up having more action in it. Yeah. But, uh, I kind of remember it being mostly exploring, push, like, you're, it's kind of like in the first games where you're reading things you pick up and you're putting the story together that way, which I, I missed. Yeah, and it's a lot more stealth and puzzle stuff interesting but you do there is like a moment where it goes ham where you can shoot a bunch and stuff (laughs) got it which i think is something that i'd be interested to explore or if it's not going to be like resident evil 4 i kind of wanted to go into more of that horror element like uh like a layers of fear type thing of like (laughs) you're going around and just trying to avoid creeping yourself out so yeah and then obviously they did a direct sequel to this game for the first time in a few games even though they're all connected loosely and we talked about Wesker's story ending in five with umbrella kind of ending in three but we get the direct sequel with resident evil village aka resident evil eight very cleverly put the the (laughs) vii yeah it's good stuff yeah Mm -hmm. which wonderful so uh, again we have a first person perspective in this um and it was released in may of 2021 for playstation 5 and xbox one again 
and they developed it pretty quickly. I mean, as we've known with a lot of these games, they develop them very quickly. And I would say a four-year cycle for a sequel feels about on par, maybe even you know quicker than some others get made nowadays. So it, it was in um, development for about three and a half years, and then the director, Morimasa Sato, pitched a village setting as a way of building up from the previous game, kind of in a similar way to what they did with 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, here inside, just, like, the mansion, right, to start, and now you're kind of getting into more of an open area. So it's almost a soft reboot in a way without necessarily being a reboot. Mm-hmm. And village is very Resident Evil 4. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I think you kind of get because that is where you start in four, right? Is in right. that village in mm-hmm. Spain. Yeah, which is kind of like I don't know if it's my favorite part of four, but that's kind of like my favorite location is to like walk around the villages. That's why I think I really liked Village. It's a lot of that. Yeah, and so in this one, it's Ethan Winters is back again, and he's looking for his kidnapped daughter in this village. And there's obviously these creatures out here that kind of lead him to castle. Uh, Dimitrescu, is that how you say? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the big lady. Yeah, yeah lady big... Dimitrescu. Wasn't yeah. that a time? Yeah. Whenever everyone was just so thirsty for that big lady. Yeah. I like, want yeah. some of that big lady action. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa. You just stand in the middle of the house and just let her come get you. She's like, <laughs> she's like the nemesis in those games. Yeah. So isn't the whole thing, though, with the zombies in this one, they're more vampiric in a way? Definitely. There's like vampire and werewolf elements, but because it's Resident Evil. We're not going to say the thing it is. It's going to be like their twist on these mm-hmm. things. So how are the how are the zombies in Biohazard compared to Village? Uh, I would say Biohazard, they're more traditional. Mm-hmm. And Village is, like you said, there's almost like they're leaning into like gothic horror elements where there's like gargoyles coming to life from statues oh. and stuff like that. And there's... A big so there's you know the big lady who's kind of following you in the mansion. You gotta be on your toes, but also in the village there's like a wolf beast that can follow you. And a lot of people apparently didn't like that. They're like Resident Evil is zombies, and I'm like I don't necessarily believe that, but yeah, <laughs> it's a big part of it. But I feel like it the thing they they never say zombies really. I feel as much in the games because they want the thing to do whatever they want it to do, which is cool. Yeah, plus, I mean, I think every entry kind of... There's a different strain of the virus that has different effects, so I think, like, calling it a zombie or whatnot, like, doesn't necessarily make Resident Evil Resident Evil. It's more like that tension, Mm -hmm. that classic, like, rationing your ammo and, like, being, like, careful with your healing items and stuff like that. And I think the interesting thing with Village, too, is, like, like Chris pops up and, like, uh, seven DLC and he's like more involved than eight so it's kind of an interesting kind of callback to the entire Resident Evil um, franchise and the lore but kind of within you know the the world that um, seven and eight has been doing and telling like like Ethan's story yeah mm-hmm. and so the idea is that the strain in these games is still a derivative of the T-virus or is it something completely different kind of like Laplagus it's something different. Yeah, it's 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 not related to like the the T virus or like Umbrella isn't 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 involved in seven and eight. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So I think we definitely have seen a big development of the series over time, and I think again we talked about it. That is one of the biggest draws for it, you know. And 
I think it's it's acceptable to make experimentations like this. I think I even thought about like Blade when I was reading about this because it's like, how do you escalate or how do you level up from having just vampires in like the first one, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what if you develop a strain of vampires that eat other vampires, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I think you, you always have to ask the questions of how do you stop, you know, trying to change the story and like the the characters so that it's like, Oh, we're up in the ante here. It's like, how do you change like the actual villains? Right. And like make them something more. And they're playing with like, you know, kind of a killer family, like uh Leatherface and like his family in uh, uh, Texas chainsaw, you know, you have that type of thing, sort of like the couple in uh, code Veronica, right. Mm-hmm. Or this brother and sister, not couple. But yeah, I guess any other thoughts on just the games as a whole, no, I think I'm just really excited for what comes next. Like I think Definitely. seven and eight, you know, I think Cap Capcom has shown yeah, willingness well. to kind of reinvent the franchise and what Resident Evil really means. So mm-hmm. I'm just excited to see what happens with nine and beyond. Yeah. Um, the rumor for nine right now is that 2025 is where we can probably expect that. It's not too far away. It's not no, too far. It's a tough couple of years. And but. I will say as a whole, as someone who's kind of late to it, Resident Evil 8 will be, and I don't buy games like when they first come out. I will buy that. Like, yeah. I will pre order that. Nice. Like, I've got the season tickets for the Resident Evil <laughs> tickets for it. You know, one thing that I, I mean, before we even get into speculating about what 9 could look like, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that adaptations of Resident Evil have been attempted. <laughs> and where there are six movies based on this. In fact, it holds the record for the most adaptations for a video game series. I think Mortal Kombat's probably coming up on its heels a little <laughs> bit. But I think it's a great segue to talk about this with Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Because I think the, the movies had promise. The first two very mm-hmm. closely follow kind of the ideas of what one and two are without being perfect adaptations mm-hmm. and i mean mia jovovic is like a perfect person to cast in a movie like that because she is sort of like a template for like what a female strong female protagonist can be in a movie mm-hmm. and but it just lost the plot so badly after two <laughs> and i know there's people who defend three and four but man i think Two was so bad. <laughs> yeah, two from I haven't seen it in a long time, but I hear two is colossally bad. And it really took what was a promising premise and one in the ways to interpret that, and just kind of was like, let's try and carbon copy all the stereotypical things about the second game into the second movie, but also let's squeeze in a character that's not related to the story at all. Yeah, and it's definitely an era of like now we have things like you know the last of us adaptation yeah and movies and shows that are more respectful to the source material but also clever in how they're adapting it whereas like the movies are you know the first one showed some promise but they eventually kind of is like they're about like the action set pieces yeah and not like scary or thriller or horror at all they feel like six like the game six yeah 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 (laughs) Which I think is funny coming from Paul W.S. Anderson, who was the director of all these movies, that he also directed probably what was arguably the most faithful adaptation of a video game movie with Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. before he did Resident Evil 1. And I was like, so what What happened here? I mean, and obviously Res- or Mortal Kombat 1 took <laughs> uh, uh, you know some liberties with the story. But at the same end, it just felt like 
it's like okay so you guys got off to the right start and then it just seemed like you're like yeah let's just go do our own thing and mm-hmm. I think to, to transition to coulda, woulda, shoulda, I would say, man, I, I would have loved to see them try and actually ad- adapt these games the same way that The Last of Us just did with the TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get the people that did the FMV for RE1. <laughs> get them in there. Like, shit, that was perfect. That's yeah, what I wanted. I would, I would watch a movie. It doesn't even have to be a Resident Evil movie. Just a movie with that schlockiness, <laughs> intenseness. I'd love it. But <laughs> I'd say the problem with a Resident Evil movie, TV show, whatever is there's just been too many bites of the apple at this point, and it's like, I don't think you'll, you'll get one. And they've all taken things from the games differently, that if you came with something that was a little more uh, strict to the game, because apparently that Welcome to Raccoon City is like pretty much like the plot of two or something. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I hear it's bad, and I hear the TV show is bad. Well, I think it kind of falls in the same trap that we just talked about with six of like, if you're going to make a cinematic version of resident evil, like, Oh, well all these characters shoot guns. Well, we got to make sure we got action sequences mm-hmm. to make these exciting when it's like, I think what people want is like what the last of us just did. Like stalk around, you've got infected around every turn. And you're, it's like, it's less about watching Pedro Pascal, you know, shoot these zombies or whatever. Right. Or, and they don't see, they don't use the Z word in that show, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's more about, the people involved. And I think there is as fucking crazy as the lore is of the rest of the evil. <laughs> like there is something to that where if you try to lean into like these relationships, like there's a brother and sister working on this, this team together, right? There's partnerships that diminish over time and like, or it gets stronger with people that they didn't expect to ally with. Or just a police station that used to be a museum. Like, how can you not make, like, a cool movie set there? (laughs) Yeah, I always wondered if it was, like, it would be cool if it was more of, like, a Japanese director take on it. Because, like, Japanese horror, like, there's a lot of, like, horror films that, you know, have been adapted that were, like, originally Japanese. So it'd be Mm kind of interesting to see that kind of take on it that could lean into some of that, some of those aspects. And I think we've seen a lot of good horror adaptations or even like things that are replicated from that. You look at like the grudge kind of gave birth to that whole, like kind of like creepy little girl thing, right. Mm -hmm. Of like, or like ghosts and how like there's like a different interpretation of like what it means to people and talks about like their personality rather than the scare factors. And it kind of informs something like the Babadook that really was a psychological exploration and is much less about the horror. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that you would love to see somebody explore with Resident Evil. But as far as the game is concerned and where you guys want to see the series go, I think I know where Fred wants to go with nine, <laughs> more like eight, seven and eight. Or would you want to see a return to four? Now I, I was going to, I was going to pitch something. I want it to be a little different from everything else, just like a reinvention, but I feel it'd be a sticky one, which would be, I want an open world, but I want it to be smaller. And I like the idea of like having to clear out like houses or mansions. So you get to have Resident Evil 1 and 2 vibes inside a bigger game. Like, what if it's like Resident Evil 
Outback. Yeah. It's almost like we'll come back with a better name, but just it's all in Australia, and you can like you have these tight. You're clearing out buildings, but yeah, also yeah, yeah. you can have a big grand oh, wow. scale. It's almost like Witcher Three, or like one of those types of open world games where it's like, oh, this is like the side quest where I got to go in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, wow. and then you have like your smaller game, more comp, you know, and then you can do bigger stuff too. That's or, interesting. Not to lean too far into this game again, but like Last of Us Two, where like especially in that beginning part of the game. There is like aspects of like open world where you can go clear out a store so mm. that you can like find like certain items for like a side quest. Yeah, I think that'd be very interesting. What about you, Joe? What would you want in nine? So I think it's an interesting spot for the franchise because they kind of have like these two tracks that are running. One is, you know, seven and eight and mm-hmm. that storyline. And then the remakes, which are kind of going back and um, kind of re. Uh, it's it's pretty close to a retelling of like the original ones, but you know, kind of enhancing it. But also, there's like all of these animated movies that they've also been making that'll star like Leon and Chris and 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 Jill and everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that they have like they're appealing to those classic like umbrella characters like Chris and Jill, but also introducing like all the new characters in mm-hmm. seven and eight. So I'm kind of interested. Well, first. They definitely need to do a remake of Code Veronica because I think that would kind of like not a lot of people have experienced that story. Sure. And I think kind of giving it the remake treatment that Capcom's been doing would, you know, expose that to a completely new audience. But in nine, I, I would be interested in them kind of tying back to some of the classic RE characters mm-hmm. and maybe like kind of giving them the send off that I think they kind of wanted six to be, uh, but kind of lean heavily into like the horror aspects that they've learned from seven and eight and kind of pick up where that's going, but also kind of tie it back to some of the, yeah. the characters that we know and love and kind of give them the, give them the send off that they need. That would be cool. Yeah. Cause, cause village was a big hit though. Right. Like really it well was. reviewed and seven was really well yeah. reviewed. So yeah, it was, I don't know if I'll be mm-hmm. able to, I don't know if I see them doing something too drastically different to be yeah. honest though. They mm-hmm. might surprise us, but I feel they're like, this is working. They might try to add stuff to it, but I don't know. Yeah, it does feel like they have some decisions to make here, too, though, of, like, what what track do they want to follow? Or do they want to start, like, kind of splitting, not the timeline, you know, necessarily, but it's, like, sort of like, okay, if you want your your more, like, RE4 remake vibes, we're going to give you this type of game. Or if you want more of the first-person kind of, like, horror element, we're going to give you this type of game. And maybe it's like, yeah, Resident Evil 9. And then you have Resident Evil, like, Omega or something. Like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They've made a lot of other games that we didn't have time to cover on this. But um, it, it's definitely things that I, you'd want to see them keep exploring, right? Yeah, they did, like, a, like a Merc's, like, online fight thing mm-hmm. that I remember playing a little and it just wasn't working for me. But I think that could have been good yeah, yeah they did also do outbreak which was like an online game where mm-hmm. you could kind of like pick your class and you're basically kind of like escaping from raccoon city as it's about to blow up and mm-hmm. and like during the events of two and three which was kind of ahead of its time because like online gaming during like the ps2 era wasn't really a thing and yeah i think that that could be pretty interesting kind of getting an re spin on it of mm-hmm. like 
co-op horror, which I don't think anyone's really done successfully yet. Or maybe I, don't, mm-hmm. I would like to see a better take on it than like five and six, just because those were so action heavy. But sure. I think there's something that could be really fun there. Resident Evil Outback's going to have all that. <laughs> Resident Evil Outback. I love it. Mm-hmm. Kangaroo busting through a window. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Should we get to our power rankings, guys? Yes. Ooh, yes. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. So I have not played three of the, the games in the series. So I'll just throw out right away that, like, if I had to pick, you know, obviously four, I think, is the, my favorite that I played because it was the only one I played from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought one was fun. I would love to go back and play that again. I think two remake really seems like probably next on my list. I might just jump into that without even finishing one, just because now I feel like I don't necessarily need to finish one to play it. But Joe, where would you go with your top three? Haven't played a lot of them. So are we combining like the remake and the original version I would say as one? Separate the remakes. Ooh, man. Because like if we separate the remakes, I'd say like. OG four number one, remake four number two. I think that's just how good it is. Uh-huh. Um, I think like the story is so good. I think the OG version, especially, like it just was so innovative in its like control schemes, and I think has inspired a lot of other games. And then I think number three would be two remake. I think like they just really like redefine what it meant to be a remake like it's just like a complete reinvention of how two works but while also staying truthful to like the story of two and like the themes of two and like the the horror elements of two and like yeah i just want them to keep remaking these games just because they do it so well sure okay so if you had to add another numbered entry into that after those three i would probably put code veronica number three just because i think it's like kind of like that gothic spookiness that fred was mentioning i think you know having claire as a playable character like it was cool to see her come back and get her own game yeah. and also bringing back like chris and wesker and i think you know like i said in coulda woulda shoulda i think it's something that people have really been wanting to see remade just because it kind of came out on dreamcast and ps2 and i think you know a lot of people haven't played through it yeah no, I think that'd be cool. It'd be nice to see a remake of mm-hmm. Code Veronica and Zero, to be honest. Like, oh, yeah. I think those yeah. probably be the next two. Mm-hmm. We'll see what they do with five. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Fred? So I, it's hard It's hard for me to do four just because I just finished it. But I'll, I'll try again there. I think number one for me, I'm going to just say the two remake. Nice. And I think it's just because it has most, it has all the touches of all the games in two. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more geared towards the older games, but I feel it gets actiony. It's spooky and there's puzzles. It's got, it's got it all. Mm-hmm. And then I I would probably put Village number two. Ooh. I really Ooh. like Village a lot. I'm probably gonna play through again because I never played the DLC. And then for three, like it's really between uh four and seven for me. Uh-huh. Like they are right now just neck and neck. I'm yeah. just leave it at that. I'm That's just cool. gonna say they're like tied for third, four and seven. Maybe we'll have to revisit the rankings too once uh, everything's a little more settled in. But I yeah. like, I like, I mean, those are very good picks. I'm excited to play seven and eight too. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't mention them, but I think seven might be. I mean, it's either going to be that or re- remake two mm-hmm. that uh, comes next. So I think that does get us to the end of the episode here, guys. Joe, obviously, we really appreciate you always coming in and being a guest on here. 
were our first guest and still oh yeah them. happy um, to be back yeah yeah anything you would like to plug though at this time no not really um i guess one thing for resident evil fans is there is a book called itchy tasty that's written by this guy alex and neil mm. who is um a huge resident evil fan but he actually he lives in Japan now, and mm. he actually interviewed a bunch of the creators of Resident Evil, and kind of talks about you know their their processes and struggles, and kind of how the Resident Evil series came to be. So I'd recommend checking that out okay. um, for people that are fans of the franchise. I like it. All right, itchy tasty, itchy tasty. Yeah, mm. it's inspired by like a line in Resident Evil One, and like one of the notes that's left by one of the zombies or. A man that's turning into a zombie, like, eventually just says itchy tasty, and it's kind of like a... I think in the Japanese version, it was more of, like, an inspiration to, like, memes in, in that language, in Japanese, um, but it, it's where the book title comes from. Gotcha. Itchy tasty makes me think that, like, they got bit, so, like, they're gross, but now that they're turning into zombie, that nastiness sounds delicious. Yeah. yeah. They got I, that craving for flesh. It does, yeah, it seems like it. What about you, Fred? Anything you like to plug? Just listen to the pod. Tom's going to hit you with all the facts. That's right. I shall. You can find us on uh, X. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate saying that. Facebook, Instagram, Threads. Uh, we are at State of the Franchise with Fred and Tom. Uh, you can find our handles on there. You can find our information on our link tree, uh, State of the Franchise with Fred and Tom. Um we have our episodes all listed on there, all of our social links. You can email us at stateofthefranchisepodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a uh, donation, a one-time donation on our link tree now is available. Uh, it goes directly to us, no third-party vendor. It's great. And um, we also have a lot more fun stuff coming up for you guys. Uh, some announcements that will probably be coming near the end of the month, maybe into the, the following month. But obviously, we're always happy to just have you guys as listeners. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, I know last time we gave a tease of Scream, and uh, what we meant to say is that the next episode was going to be a Scream. It was Resident Evil, but uh, the next uh, episode we will be talking about the franchise of the movies, the Scream franchise. Just had to back it up a little bit, but we have a real treating for you guys there, so we hope you tune in then. And uh, thanks again for being here, Joe, and we'll see you guys next time. Why? Umbrella bad. <laughs> Umbrella bad. It was a talk about Will